Welcome to episode 199 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I first learned about the concept of both and from a friend about 15 years ago. If you've always lived in an either or world, it can feel like a revelation to consider both and. I know it did for me. I've been thinking about both and over the last few weeks as I struggle to describe how I'm doing right now. It's not black and white. My family and I are safe. My extended family is safe and generally the people I know are safe. Yet I know that over 100,000 Americans have died from this awful virus, and many more than that, 10 times more than that and beyond, have been infected. I also know that all of society's cracks have been opened up bigger than ever before to a point where it's hard for anyone to deny social inequality, and yet some still choose to do so. And the painful reminders that much of that inequality becomes life or death for people of color. Whether it's the economic choices people have to make to take care of their families or police interactions that lead to another black person dying. My heart aches. My business is thriving. I'm able to put money into savings the first time in a long time. And yet I know many, many families are struggling to meet their basic needs right now. And many are taking risks to make it possible for my family to hunker down in relative safety. Both and All of these are true statements, and I need to accept the complexity of emotions that they stir in me. For all that I have, I am grateful, and for all that is wrong in the world, I am responsible for doing my part to fix it. I know I'm going to lose a few followers because I'm outspoken on social media and on my podcast, but I can't imagine celebrating my successes without also acknowledging the work still to do to fight injustice in all of its forms. Your challenge this week. Life is complicated. Embrace the both and way of thinking about life. Rejoice in your victories, small and large. Feel your heart ache for the injustice many, many are facing. Speak up and take action. Let's all do our part to speak truth to power. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest focuses on the communication side of leadership. Through her warmth and humor, she helps people to become better communicators, influencers, and leaders. They recognize gaps, build on strengths, and become more effective professionals. Over the last 10 years, she has worked with clients across a variety of sectors to enhance their performance and workplace influence. Her clients have included Airbnb, Bank of America, Microsoft, Nestle, and Visa. She's a founder of Forte Consulting, inspiring extraordinary performances from individuals and teams. Please. Join me in welcoming Hope Timberlake. Thank you, Robbie. I'm so excited to be here. Hope, thanks so much for joining us from your home office in San Francisco Bay Area. I have to say home office. Where else would you be? <laughs> so, Nowhere. A lot of places I want to be, but this is where I am. This is where you are. So uh, as you know, this is a show about uh, building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Yeah, I, I think of leadership in sort of three frames or the three qualities of leadership. And the first one is a leader really needs to have 
clear purpose. So they need to know what is the intent behind their leadership. Are they looking to develop others? Are they looking to bring a new product or process to the market? Do they want to make the world a better place and have an impact? So a leader who decides or a person who decides they want to go to leadership for the Maserati is not, does not qualify. Uh, the second thing I think about with leadership is it's about thinking about others, thinking about the team, thinking about those that, that you impact, that you interact with, and really helping build them up as you lead. So be externally focused, really thought, thoughtful about those around you. And the third thing I think about is how they do it. So you can think about them being charismatic or good listeners or really good communicators. That's certainly one of the biases I look for. And as you think about leaders, you know, Bill Gates is an example of someone you're like, well, okay, he meets the first one. He is creating a good impact. He's got great purpose. He thinks about others, certainly about world populations. Maybe not so charismatic, but the how is more around like maybe he's a really good listener. He's very thoughtful. He uh, brings research to his leadership. So one size doesn't fit all, but I think you have to have all of those components in some form or another. I love that you gave a definition that both defines something and expands what's possible at the same time. That's not easy to do. So thank you, Hope. Uh, I, I agree with all that. I mean, I've never heard it sort of laid out this way. But I think the people who are motivated for the wrong reasons, like you said, that's, that's not true leadership because they're also probably not there to help others. They're not thinking about others if they do that. And exactly. there is a wide range of what people can be like. And yet, do you feel like charismatic is still a quality that most people look for? And the unassuming Bill Gates seems like the exception yeah, it's interesting. I work with so many leaders and so many people who want to develop their leadership skills. And there is some there is something that is intangible or difficult to to define about charisma. One of my favorite books is The Charisma Myth written by a Stanford a Stanford professor. And there's there's a lot of ways of looking at it. And I really like the idea of charisma being a combination of warmth and strength. So that warmth ties into that. I'm thinking about others. I care. I'm showing. I'm connecting. And that strength of I'm clear. I know what I'm saying. I know what I'm doing. I'm not going to waver or, or vacillate just because of, of, of trends or uh, other people's opinions that I don't necessarily uh, admire or agree with. Right. Aloof and reserved is not what comes to mind when you think of leaders. Um, it's funny because we're leading, you know, leadership is such a key topic these days for so many reasons. But when you're thinking back to when you first started to think about this, maybe you didn't have the word leader in mind, but when did you start realizing you had some of these like either skills or attributes? Like, what was that like? Yeah. So it's really interesting. I am the oldest of three children. So if you ask my sisters, they would say that I learned, I realized I was a leader very early on. I used to take the kids around the neighborhood and take them on ventures and be very potentially bossy. And uh, my mom was the oldest of four children. So I am the oldest of the oldest child. So I've definitely been around it. Uh, and if we think about it in more specific terms, when I, I went to a very traditional academic elementary school, it was K through eight, 
and uniforms and sort of harken like an English vibe of very, very strict and traditional. And we learned Latin. And on that note, in eighth grade, the headmaster, who was so strict, uh, uh, tapped me and one of my classmates and said, we'd like to pilot a program where you and Jennifer teach Latin to kindergartners. And it was absurd on so many levels. Here I am with my 80s asymmetrical hair and kind of caring about so many things outside of Latin. But it also felt pretty empowering and special to be tapped to do this. And so we created the curriculum. We worked with these kids during our free, I don't know if it was a free period or recess or lunch. I can't recall, but it was the middle of the day. And I remember we got in trouble with one of the parents because we gave too much homework. So I think that we definitely felt empowered, or I certainly felt empowered from a young age. And that was a specific example of a time when I'd been tapped to be a leader uh, and didn't shirk from my responsibilities, was going to go full force and be like, okay, here you go, kindergartners. Here's your Latin assignment. And I expect to see the homework by the next time. And your homework. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Poor poor little Nicole. (laughs) For you to be tapped, Hope, in, uh, in eighth grade, I'm curious, like, what were you like even younger than that? So that, does that mean, did, did that, and by the way, I just have to acknowledge the word bossy being used in such a slurry kind of way against young girls, yeah. um, but can be, you know, just like anything else, like reclaimed. Yes. <laughs> so we'll reclaim it if, as much as we can here. Did that experience at home translate to how you were around your, your peers yeah, you know, it's interesting. I uh, do think that in many veins, I have a strong sense of, I have a strong ability, a uh, tendency towards being bossy. And I would like to embrace that and say being strong, being determined, being certain. And luckily that's offset. I have the kindest, sweetest, most diplomatic father in the world. And so I think that I was luckily able to hone both of those traits and and be able to be bossy in a way that it was I was direct early on, very clear early on, but also diplomatic might sound too strategic, but 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 thinking of others too. I mean, I've always cared deeply about others and friendships and community and and really just being around people. Now it was cool that you got tapped by this. Um... Is a headmaster, you said? The headmaster, yes. The headmaster. I mean, like the visual of this is like, is right in my head. So, I mean, did you think that, that you were ready for it when that happens? Were you surprised? I think I was surprised at the concept of teaching kindergartners Latin. But no, I did not want for one second think I wasn't prepared. I mean, That's I was amazing. like, bring it on. Yeah, Absolutely. And it went well enough that you learned something valuable yourself about it. When does it, where does this leadership journey take you next? Like, did you run for office? Did you like take on big projects? Did other people tap you for things like, oh, Hope does stuff. We'll have Hope do this. Yes, yes, yes. In all those things. Uh, yes. In high school, well, in, 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 in the eighth grade, we had lots of leadership opportunities. We were the oldest grade. So there were a lot of opportunities to do projects and we were given some pretty cool autonomy. And then in high school doing key club and student council and those types of things that we would expect. And then even in college doing some leadership roles. 
did went to a with all girls camp where I became a leader at 16, 15 actually, you know, of the of the campers and then 16 as a as a junior counselor. So it's been a it's been a pretty consistent theme. Uh, one of the most instr- instrumental leadership opportunities really came more when I was 23 or 24, I guess, when it was not as a kid, but as one of my first real jobs outside of school. And I say real, I had plenty of waitressing and store clerking and those type of jobs. But this was the first time it felt more of like a career. And I worked for a woman who has her MBA and her and her MD. She's a surgeon with her MBA from Stanford, Harvard undergraduate really impressive woman, very young at the time. I think she wasn't even quite 40. And she was the first recipient of a Department of Defense grant that supported breast cancer. So Department of Defense supports a lot of research in health, typically for people who have served in the army or in in defending our country. And this was the first time a grant went to women's health. So it's $4 million grant. And she was like, great, let's go. I have all these projects. Here you are. You're smart. You're, you seem strong. Here's one of, the, one of the projects. Run with it. So at 24, this woman who I barely knew, I, I, I met her through a contact because that's another theme. I love connections. And I met her through a contact at a, at a baseball game, a giant San Francisco Giants baseball game. And over the course of nine innings, she said, okay, great. Which project would you like? There's this, this, or this. And it, looking back on it, I'm amazed at the opportunity that she entrusted me with. And it really did set me on a really interesting career path at the age of 24. Is this someone you're still in touch with? Yes, very much so. Her kids were, her kids were in our wedding and that was 20, over 20 years ago. And yes, she's, in fact, I, yes, very much. She's a, a total inspiration to me to this day. That's amazing. Do you want to say her name? Yes, Laura Esserman. She's a she's a head of the breast care center at University of California, San Francisco. And you, any any of your listeners should look her up because one of the most amazing things is not only the research she does and all her patient care, but when she operates on her patients, she sings them to sleep. So she's got this most uh, beautiful voice. And she'll sing, she'll take requests. Sometimes, you know, if, if, if it were up to her, she would sing musicals or different types of classical music, but, she, but she'll take requests and she will sing her patients under the anesthesia. Pretty, wow. pretty dynamic woman. That's multi-talented. Yeah. Uh, if, when you first started listing all of her um, degrees and accolades, I was like, oh, so she's an underachiever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but not at exactly. all. Yeah. Uh, uh, Great to have found a mentor too at the age of 23 and that it happened through, I, I guess almost most of these like kind of almost random circumstances. But I think that other people given the same opportunity to be at the same, you know, baseball game would have missed the chance because they wouldn't have maybe stayed for the conversation or they wouldn't have presented themselves very well or they would have just been distracted or they would have played like today that we would play on our phones, you know, right. and not even make eye right. contact. Right. Um, so it's a combination of things. It's like happenstance, but you said yes to the happenstance. Right. And it sounds like that's also what your life has been like. Is, yes. Am I right? That there's a lot Absolutely. of like, say yes to happenstance and see what happens next. Yes, very much. I'm curious. I love people. I love adventure. I like seeing what's around the corner 
yeah, I have a lot of energy. I'll stay till the end. And, uh, and I, I, it does make me sad when you mentioned the phones, it does make me sad. We're both parents. And we, even if you're not a parent, you look around and you see kids just glued. And it makes me sad because there's so much richness in our community, in our, and whether that's virtual community or in-person community, that connecting on a genuine level can just provide so much satisfaction and in my case, just really interesting career turns or, or interesting life turns. Yeah, yeah. It's, I love that you're still in touch because often we don't get a chance to say thank you to people who have made that kind of dent in our life, you know, and, and set us off on that path like you described. So glad to know that you two have stayed in touch. Mm-hmm. Um, so today I know you as this very successful, like your intro is super like high achieving, you know, uh, there was a list of like nine more companies I could have <laughs> included. Um, you know what I mean? Like you've, you've done a lot and it sounds like a lot's happened the last decade. What, what were you, what were you doing before this last sort of iteration of, of, you know, hope's life? Yeah, it's funny, Robbie. I, I shared with you my bio and I approved the bio, but what I missed was it probably more over 15 years that those things have happened. Uh, I don't know if it's been subconsciously <laughs> trying not to age that's myself funny. or what, but I was like, oh gosh, that's not totally accurate. All right. So still 15 years, I still had a, a life before then. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I did, I worked at the at UCSF, which is the medical center where Laura Esserman leads for about six years, six or eight years. And then I pivoted. I had my kids and it was really hard with my daughter. I still worked there, but it was really hard to lead those programs. I was leading a lot of community uh, community outreach programs. And that was really tough on the hours and the salary mm. and the childcare. So after I had baby number two, I took a break and I became a franchise owner. And I don't know if I've ever spoken about this. Wow. Other than to my little, you know, the, the community who was there when I did this, but I became a franchise owner of a, a baby boot camp, which was a fitness. I, I know I, I'm laughing that I'm sharing this, a fitness workout for moms and strollers. And uh, I had a big, huge magnet in the side of my car. In fact, a little funny story about that is one time my husband was driving my car. I don't love driving. And we were just driving through our community. And he was like swerving around and driving crazy. I was like, you've got to stop. We've got this business on the side of the car. We're representing more than just, you know, you, you can't drive like that. But uh, it was it was incredibly empowering and also incredibly vulnerable because I had these two little babies at home. They were tough, tough babies. And I, I'm entrepreneurially spirited. So I knew I wanted to and had to work. And yet I was more or less, more and more marketing to my peer group. So to my neighborhood, to my community, to my mom's groups. And sometimes that worked out really well. And sometimes people, I felt at the time that people were like, oh, I don't want that. So I had some sensitivity and vulnerability, and I think it more reflects where I was in my life than the truth of of what their reactions were. But it was a really important lesson for me around, okay, just because someone takes one class and doesn't come again, it may mean that they didn't like the class, or it may be more about them. And so I really had to work through that around running into someone in the grocery store and they would kind of, I felt like they would turn around the other way and and walk a different direction. 
well, maybe they were embarrassed that they had a whole cart full of cookies and they didn't want to see me because here I am like the, the mommy fitness guru at the time. So it was funny that this was now, gosh, 16 years ago and that I was taking these things personally when it really wasn't about that. It was really more around, okay, it can be vulnerable to put yourself out there. And that's part of the process. That's how you grow. And if you don't get the reaction you want, you can probe, connect, figure out why, or just realize it's not about you. And it may be about you, but that's okay if it is. So how long did you have that? that Not that long. It was under two years. It was, uh, I guess I started right before my son was born. Yeah, just about about two years. It wasn't my favorite time of life, uh, mostly because for me, the babies were really hard and I was wearing workout clothes 24-7, but never actually getting a workout in because I was (laughs) the one sort of rocking other people's babies while they were working out. And I was like, I don't know. And uh, it, it was, it was all that, not all that profitable either. So I, at the same time that I ran that company, I was starting to work uh, doing some PR and communications work for a friend so that I had a couple different things brewing. You know, I just want to unpack this for a minute because the fact that you, uh, and I, I'm with, a, you know, I have a two and four year old, so I'm in those circles and in those Facebook mm-hmm. groups and I'm very entrepreneurial minded myself. And so I see the people who are doing like the us born books and all that, or like, like that's like the today version of all of this. Like people get so excited about a product and then they like join into the MLM or the franchise or whatever right. it is. And I can see the vulnerability that you're describing and a lot of it, it's on our heads, you know, even when it's not, it's still amplified in our heads. Even when it is us, we amplify wh- what that means because there's a feeling about our feelings that really gets in the way, Right. Right. But you chose to do something entrepreneurial and I, my first year of being a parent, um, I was moving the year before my child was, my first child was born. I was shifting to working full-time in my business. And so the year that he was born was my second year of doing that. And I was busy. Like I was busy building a business and I was also an at-home parent and I don't know. I fit it all in. But then I would talk to parents who were not running businesses who told me they couldn't find time for a shower that first Mm year. Right. And I just think that's so interesting, right? Like you, like it wasn't your favorite. You you described several times how challenging that time of your life was. And you have these difficult kids who are now, you know, hopefully grateful teenagers. (laughs) They're great. I don't know about grateful, but they are great. great. We'll work on grateful. It usually happens in their twenties and right. later when they have children. So um, I I just think that the fact that you chose to take on that role, whatever that meant, not knowing even what it would mean, and it stuck with it. Why do you think you were drawn to that? I mean, I think the truthful answer is I have so much energy, and I really need to use it in a way to connect to others. I am much better when I'm working in a community. I don't really like being defined or um, or limited by one set community. I really care and love meeting people and having lots of different interaction points. So as much as it was quote unquote hard, it would have been 10 times harder for me to be at home or it, this was a this was this was a saving grace. It was a sanity break. It was all the things that fed me. So there were challenges for sure, but it was also really really fulfilling. I'm so glad I I like 
you know, I, we, that we went in this direction. And I asked these questions because one, I can really relate to that, you know, because as busy as I was, the idea of being defined as an at-home parent. And so I always said, work at home. I'm a work at home parent. I still am. Right, <laughs> By the right. way, these days, everyone, everyone is. Everyone is. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all work at home parents. Um, I just had more experience doing that. So, but I just think like, like you said, how, what feeds you and being surrounded by community, having different reasons to connect um, and how much harder it would be to, to just have that one thing. And I think what's really hard about parenting, especially when you're starting out, is that you just don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And at least with this, you kept getting better. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, that's funny because I always knew I wanted two children and my husband wanted more. And after these two, I knew even more that I only wanted two children as great as they are. And I felt like even if I had four children, I'm not sure I would even get that much better at it. They're all so different. They're all so complicated. They come up. I'm like, okay, but with my business and with my networking and with my, my other entrepreneurial things, I feel like I can refine, I can learn and I can adapt. And by the time I learned the lesson with my kids, it outgrown that phase and it was no longer relevant. I know that's why don't you ever feel like when you see kids, people with younger kids, you're like, oh my God, if you just learn these three things and read this one book. Yeah. So, but around that same time, you started to dabble part-time in doing this communications work mm-hmm. and obviously got a taste for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at some point you decided that was going to be your business. So, yeah. so clearly you already had the entrepreneurial bug. Mm-hmm. You weren't ready to go back and do a nine to five type job. What was the, what was the decision matrix around letting go of the like boot camp? Maybe boot, I'm sorry, I have the visual in my head for you, Hope. Letting go of the Hope Hope's baby boot camp and then building up this this career was the goal to be a consultant. Were you trying to get hired? Like, mm. yeah, you know, it's interesting. I. I've always loved business. My dad's an entrepreneur. I've been fascinated by business. We have really rich conversations. And I knew I wanted to go in that direction. And as you alluded to, MLM was not real multi-level marketing, that kind of tapping your friend group and stuff wasn't wasn't really the vision I had for my long-term career. It was truly, I always want to make an impact in whatever I do. And I knew from working in a hospital with a lot of doctors, there was a large opportunity to improve communication. And that's communication among doctors, communication from doctor to patient. There was just a huge opportunity. And as you alluded to earlier, there was circumstance and luck here. I had a neighbor, lived in, a woman who lived in my neighborhood who had a boutique public relations company. And she said, oh, you know, I know I had done some writing for the mom's group about how hard parenting was. You know, everyone's like, oh, it's so lovely. I'm like, it's really hard for me. And here's why. And I think that my writing ability and just the fact that I was willing to go out there, she was like, you know, we need someone on my team to help do some communication training for some of my tech clients. So we're in the Bay Area. It makes sense. They're tech clients. But that was also scary to me. I'd never worked with tech clients before. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a really deep knowledge of technology or software. And I said, but you know, I was like, sure, let's, let's do this. And I did from my home, uh, gosh, a long time ago in 2005, six, I was helping to virtually prepare speakers for their conferences. So I helped tech executives by having them rehearse with me, by helping to, to 
clear up and crystallize their messages and getting them ready to present on stage at, at uh, industry events. And that was the beginning of just a whole new career. So it wasn't so much by design that I said, I want to be in communications, helping technology executives or executive of, of companies uh, be better necessarily, but it was the combination of I'm passionate about leaders communicating well and people communicating well, and I'm passionate about making an impact, being able to see a difference. And then the rest was just being open to new opportunities. Well, I want to say that it's not just that you were open to new opportunities. You also put yourself out there so that opportunities could come to you. So despite how hard parenting was, you still said, I'm going to make time and then actually did it to write something in a public forum so that your writing ability was showcased. I mean, like, I wanted to sort of say that there's, there's always, I mean, if you, if you look for, you're going to, you're going to see kismet, you know, like, yeah. you know, you'll, you'll, if you're aware of what you're looking for, it'll show up more often. Yeah. Um, and you put yourself out there in a way that, that it was vulnerable, but allowed you to be seen. And that's a, that's a, again, a recurring theme of this. It's like, if you just hide in the corner, no one will spot you and right. nothing good comes your way. But then you also say yes to things. So there's a combination of, of that. Um, so people listening, like, what can you say yes to right now? I think a lot of people are right now are thinking about scarcity, limitations, and my whole life has been about abundance and possibility. And I have seen more abundance and possibility in the last six weeks mm -hmm. on every front, um, the way I'm looking for it. And I think, you know, you're probably seeing that too. And it's coming from places unexpected and, you know, it feels almost incongruous to like what's happening on the global scale because right. it's like this frightening thing. And then on this like little micro, you know, micro side, we're like experiencing abundance and it seems so, so strange. You, um, you follow this thread though. And uh, in the last, we're going to say 15 sort of years. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> 15 years. You know, you're, you're that age. Um, exactly. Okay. So you've met a lot of people, you know, uh, in, in this, time period. There's the time before that. There's all the parents you knew. There's the work you did before that. So you're a people person. You like people. You like to have strong connections. And I imagine that you've just met really quality people in your life. And so I'm curious about how you nurture and sustain that broader network. Like you have those different tiers, right? You have like the close connections and you just know you're going to see these people. Um, you know, you're going to cross paths them. You know, you're going to stay in top of mind. And then there's like the second and sort of third layers out. And I, I always think of conferences because particularly now where we don't have these in-person gatherings, the, the, the date that the conference would be held, whether it happens or not, whether it's been postponed, canceled, or brought online, should still trigger the, who would I have seen if I had gone there? And then you do the reach out, right? Because that's usually where you would have those connections happen. How do you nurture and sustain those sort of outer layers of your network? Yes. So it's interesting. I don't, I'm not a very linear, linear or structured person. So I'm not great about putting it down on my calendar on like Mondays for 30 minutes and Wednesdays for, you know, I don't schedule things like that, but it feeds me. It just innately feeds me. So I do spend a fair amount of time reaching out and checking in on that wider network, whether it's through LinkedIn, usually LinkedIn, Facebook, and you know, the, the social media channels are how I, I actively look for people 
as well as follow the alerts. In fact, one of the things that I love that you do, Robbie, that I have taken up is not only do you acknowledge all of your friends and by friends, you're going second, third, probably fourth tier contacts, you acknowledge their birthdays and you do it in a unique way. You're not just, you know, clicking, checking the box, but like, Hey, happy birthday on Facebook. You're like texting them or sending them an email. It is so meaningful to have something that is special, that it took a little bit more time, a little bit more thought to show that you're thinking about someone. And I've taken, I've taken that from you and from other people around, not as a strategy, but just as the recipient of it. It feels really good. It feels really good to be like, okay, someone was thinking in a way that's not just mindlessly happy birthday on Facebook, but actually taking that extra step. So I like to do that. I I think it's important that we support each other, even in those small ways with the likes on people's posts. Um, It's great if we can go even further where it's like, I loved that in your post, you said this, or I love that you shared this. It was really resonant right now because of. Uh, So I try to do it, but it's not really in a systematic way as much as it is a way that daily it feeds me to know what my network is up to. You know, you brought up LinkedIn, you brought up the whole birthday thing. I, I can't remember which guest it was on. It was like two years ago, I was interviewing a guy on this show who we were talking about this. And he said that he he does this thing, this is where I got the idea, but that um, he said that he's also been trying to like, he's close to his 5,000 limit. And I'm now years later, also close to the, if so anyone listening who doesn't know this, there's like 300 people on Facebook. There is a 5,000 person friend list limit on Facebook. And um, I've, I've definitely friended people who I have no reason, like it doesn't, doesn't really make sense. And so every time I go through the birthday list, I'm either like, I know I recognize the name and I immediately go to send my congratulations or my happy birthday or whatever it is. I don't recognize the name and I look to see who we have in common. I look to see when we, when we connected, whether we have any posts in common, like what universe are they from? You know, oh, there's from NSA speakers. Got it. Okay. Oh, they're from this other thing. Like, okay, fair. Like they're a professional in the world and like clearly we stay connected. Occasionally I will come across people and it's like, why? Mm-hmm. And then what's awful is I unfriend them on their birthday. <laughs> <laughs> the beautiful thing is they'll never know. They'll never know because they didn't know who I was. I didn't know me. They didn't know them. So I just think that, uh, you know, if it's, if it's not someone I will, if I can't take the time to even send them a Facebook private message, then why are they on my list? Mm-hmm. And then LinkedIn. So LinkedIn does this thing where every anniversary of someone's job or anytime someone gets a new, adds a new job or things like that, you get those auto posts and they, they offer you some suggested text for what to send people. <laughs> so <laughs> I think like sending anything other than a suggested text would make you stand out. Right. You know? right. It's like, it's like some people just like it. Some people send the like, congrats on your new job, which is like the automatic test. And like, even just putting, Hey Robbie, congrats on your job would be like one step above. So I did start thinking about that. And my, my latest thing in the last six months has been, how do I take it off, off that medium? Like if I heard about it on Twitter, sorry, if I heard it about it on LinkedIn, do I text them? Right. If I heard about it on Facebook, do I email them? Like just right. how personal can I do it? Because I, like you said, it's just like on the receiving end. Mm. And it's noticed because it, 
if my mother sends me birthday greetings on my wall, I won't even see it. Right. Like right. It's, it's embarrassingly true. Like I'll have hundreds of people write random, like right. just generic HBD. Look, right. They can't right. even be bothered to write it out. You know, the whole word. Exactly. Well, I think you said a couple of really interesting things, Robbie. <laughs> First of all, the cynic in me was worried that you were going to say when LinkedIn posts about, you know, do you want to congratulate this person on the job? If you were tempted to say congratulations, and I'm unlinking in with you, uh, that that <laughs> I knew you were going to really do it. But uh, but the thing that I think is important about that is we need to have a network that fulfills us too. And so it's both knowing who the people are, but also knowing that we get something from them. We can we can provide something to them. And if there's any bit of drainage that happens, whether it's really differing and outspoken political views or things that feel really uncomfortable to the point that it's just not just your vulnerability, but actually this person is, is emptying my cup, not filling it. But I feel like it's, it's time to, there's so many fabulous people in the world that want to share that are generous in their, in, in their intellectual curiosity and in what they share and in their connections that, Surround ourselves with those people rather than the people who deplete us. I know there's 7 billion people. How can I limit it to just 5,000? I don't, what does that math look like? Um, you know, I, I, I think you're right about who fills our cup and all that and being, I mean, like open to a lot of diversity, um, right. but also recognizing there's even, even within that there's limitations. I, I've also been thinking, you know, about, I used to always ask a question about convening people. So obviously this is going to be a little different in this context, but since this, you know, we've all gone online all the time, have you been either convening people yourself or going and looking for those kinds of spaces? Like what, what is networking been like in this new context? Well, I've been wanting to join some of your happy hours, but they happen at a funny time on the West Coast where I'm often typically still working. So I have yet to do that. But yes, uh, I've been quite active just in terms of attending different events, uh, learning. Uh, there are a lot of people and a lot of professional and personal networks that have gotten neglected or just underutilized that I've spent a lot of time double or triple or quadrupling down and spending more time with, with those people. And it's, it's broad. It's, it's a huge array of people. Some people I haven't, I mean, truly, and now I'm really going to age myself. There's, I was mentioning that I was a counselor when I was 16. So that was in the eighties. And we, we had a couple different zoom calls where we're all over the country and just completely different lives. And it was so fun because I, there are several of them I had not spoken to since 1988, maybe. Anyway, it was a long time ago. Uh, so it was really cool. It was really cool to, to have those opportunities and thank God for technology. I mean, there's so many ways that we can connect that it makes the pandemic as horrible as it is in terms of health, really uh, incredibly interesting in terms of connection. It is true that um, for those who are not directly touched by the economics, like, like hardship, the the health risks, you know, which is honestly, a large portion of the globe are watching this and hoping it doesn't have to impact them any deeper than right. it is. Right. Um, I just think, you know, we're all, if we're not making sourdough, 
We've mm-hmm. all like taken to to Zoom or other platforms to connect with each other. And it also feels kind of like, well, why didn't we do this before? I have some close friends that I, you know, we that we do holiday stuff together. We've we've traveled together over the last decade, 12 years. And um, as we all got busier and had kids, like we sort of did that less frequently. And and now we meet every three weeks or so on a Zoom call. And like, I'm like, why didn't we just do like, and I I guess there's some benefit to the fact that maybe some of those will become habits. Right. And after we all go back to the the ability to travel again, we still do this because those relationships are important in different ways. So I love this idea that you got together with people from this camp. Um, I'm trying to imagine if I could even get in touch. I'm 45. I'm trying to imagine if I can get in touch with the people from my camp, um, which must have been around the same the same decade. Yeah, I'm 48, and it and truly it, uh, it was funny. There were there were I think 12 of us who were all tapped to be this this honorary counselor, and 10 out of 12 of us made the call. And it took a little digging. But we found all the email addresses. One of the one of the women is just sort of flaky now, and so she just forgot. But but we found the email addresses for all of us, or, or were able to contact each of us. And uh, ten out of twelve were on the call. It was really cool. Yeah. That's that's cool. I think you know this this moment has taught us, if nothing else, that relationships are really important and should be something we prioritize. And you know, again, doing that is you putting yourself out there opening yourself up to these reconnections and you don't know where that will lead, but I know that whatever it leads, you'll say yes. <laughs> I don't know anything else about this you. This is true. So uh, as we wrap up, this is one of my favorite sort of uh, ways to end a conversation, which is, you know, if we were going to meet a year from now, and I really hope we do get to do this in person because it would be lovely. I have, I have my in-laws out in the Bay Area by you. But let's say we're connecting on a Zoom call if needed, uh, and we're we're talking about all of your successes in the previous year. What are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to? This is a topic we haven't brought up yet. It's my book. I am writing a book called Speak Up, Damn It, cultivating the, the uh, courage, credibility, and confidence to, to share your voice at work. And that's what we'll be celebrating. I, I, th- I'll just end it right there. Okay. How far into the book are you? Is this written? <laughs> Is it's, it? I have I have the the, the um I, I'm keeping it G rated the 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 sucky first draft uh so that is that is good. that is written and it's very important yes exactly exactly so it's good it's it's uh it's coming together thank you know, thank you COVID for some creative inspiration and and more windows of time so I, I'm getting there and I. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a topic worth worth all of us paying attention to and learning from, and you're the right person to bring that. I, this, thank you so much. I want to know how how can people follow you and and find your work and learn more about you. Great. So uh, I would love it. I love connecting. So uh, my website is hopetimberlake.com. My name, hopetimberlake.com. And then I am I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn and Facebook under the under that name as well. I do a little bit of tweeting and, and Instagram, but really LinkedIn, Facebook, or my website would be great. And I would love to hear from any of your listeners. Fantastic. And we're going to put all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Hope, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Robbie. This has been great. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Hope. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. 
What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 199. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as nearly 200 next week archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. There are less than six months left in 2020. I've got room for one or possibly two private coaching clients if you're serious about making the most this year, despite all these challenges. We would start with a deep dive four-hour session to talk about your vision, values, and goals for the next year, and then create a 90-day detailed strategy plan. Regular meetings and full access over six months means you stay on track, even when you hit a speed bump. If you had big plans for 2020, invest in yourself to make them happen. Email me to start or continue a conversation. My email address is Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. If you enjoy this episode with Hope, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when we'll be interviewing another talent professional who has achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. And surprise, I'm actually the guest next week. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.